Today we've got some folks visiting from the school district, Mankato School District 77. I have Superintendent Paul Peterson and the Director of Facilities and Safety, Scott Hogan. Good morning. Karen, great to see you. Good morning. Good morning. Great to have you both on here. Of course, Paul's been here before, but Scott is the COVID czar, czar, I hear. Uh, Yep. Uh, (laughs) Been my job for a little over a year now. Uh, Now, that was a a new thing added to your duties, I'm sure. It was. I sort of ended up with the short straw, I think, here. Right, right. So (laughs) it's it's great to see you both. I know there's been a lot of things in the news about the school and about future plans. So I'm going to start with that, with future plans with Paul. There was a survey done in the district. Talk a little bit about that and some of the things that were uh, found in that and uh, what's going forward. Yeah, thanks, Karen. The, you're, you're right. The, the school district has long had um, facilities planning committees in place to, to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to be looking ahead. Um, we've got the right buildings, we've got the right structures, and the, and the right organization for our kids and families in the, in the district. So um, back a few years ago, then we were really marching towards um, very likely looking at some expansion, um, renovating some buildings, popping up some new buildings, especially elementary. And then, of course, with COVID, everything went uh, Boom. dark. Yeah. <laughs> we, our facilities planning went behind the curtain and said, not now. Um, not a good time, no. Not a good time. And, and uh, But we continued to work on different structures in different ways. And we knew that when the time was right, we wanted to re-engage the community. And, and just start asking, start raising some awareness first, and then asking some questions about what priorities they saw. And so we did that this past fall. We had over 3,000 respondents. Wow, um, that's pretty good. Yeah, all school district residents, eligible voters were asked to weigh in. We had a lot of people um, share their views online. We had a lot of people fill out a paper form. And uh, and so now we're at the stage where we've, we've heard from a really good sample size. And now our board gets to have the, the pleasure and the honor of figuring out what comes next. Yeah. Let's talk about the student population. You yeah. know, it's grown through the years. I, you know, I know that it was 7,000. I don't know if it's more. That's the last I remember in my head. So where are we at there and why do we need new facilities? Yeah, so we're right around um, 8,400 okay. students now. Um, COVID districts our size, um, regional hubs, and especially in the metro area, public schools really took a hit enrollment-wise. And we were we saw that as well. Over 300 kids didn't uh, attend last year. And mine, we're, mine were included. They didn't attend. They, yeah, so they were they were online though. Sure. So we're so we're clawing ourselves back. Okay. And you know it's going to take a few years for those uh, enrollments to bounce. Okay. Um, smaller school districts didn't see maybe quite as an effect. But what we've also seen within our school district is that when you look at land development, housing townhomes, apartments, and then what's what's already planned and what's being constructed right now, it tells us that we um, our facilities are going to have to continue to adjust to make room for uh, a region that continues to draw in people for jobs, for um, and, and hopefully they're coming here to go to MSU, but then we're, we're also hoping that they stick around, have a family, and eventually we see those kids in the K-12 system. So the, the population growth is a part of it with more students. And how about the, the shape of the buildings? I'll probably go to Scott for this. Are we uh, facilities-wise, are things in pretty good shape? Are they up, the upkeep's been all there? Are we still, is that where we're making up in some places? So this has been a wonderful uh, community that's supported the school district um, for many, many years um, in especially keeping and maintaining their facilities. And so um, all of our facilities are in excellent condition. Um, We uh, look at additions uh, 
potentially um, in the future onto some of the schools. Um, right now, throughout the district, uh, we are working on indoor air quality and ventilation improvements. A um, lot of that resulted from COVID, doesn't it, as far as getting proper ventilation, et cetera? Very much so. Um, very much so. COVID certainly drove uh, all of that work. Um, and so uh, this past summer, uh, we worked at Franklin. We've got about half of the building done there. We'll finish that this summer. Uh, we completely redid all the ventilation at Washington. And uh, looking at uh, this summer now, starting at Lincoln Community Center and Roosevelt. So some of our older facilities are the ones we're, we're uh, addressing right now. Were they just outdated or are there new tech? Technology or something, or what kind of was the, the impetus for doing this? Yeah, it a lot of it is outdated. The equipment's been in place for fifty some years, and and a lot of these facilities um, has served its purpose. Um, doesn't meet any of the new indoor air quality um, requirements um, that a school district needs to try to to accomplish. And so that's basically our reason behind uh, doing these improvements. In talking with doing some of these expansions or improvements. Are there any buildings that are in such bad shape you're going to have to get rid of them? Because, of course, at MSU, we've got Armstrong Hall that's in pretty tough shape, and it's one of those things where they say, well, we probably can't keep this. So how about in our District 77 Mankato? We are fortunate um, that all of our buildings are in such excellent care um, and in great shape and that we can continue to use them. Um, making these improvements will take us another 50 years down the road. So. Okay, and as far as additions then, there were different options right. offered. It's like, well, should we add another high school? Should we add, because I took the, the um, survey as Re well, should we add another elementary school? So what were some of the top recommendations that you received that people say we should do this? Yeah, well, top on our list, um, and we were really excited because we, we wanted to make sure the community knew that there's a whole lot of needs. We, we also understand, though, that not everything is a top priority. And we wanted to ensure our community that the district has done its homework to say our top, our most pressing need is at the elementary level, um, elementary building, and then elementary additions to help um, the capacities to so so we can continue to maintain um, low class sizes and do all the things that elementary schools need to do. Having said that, that priority where we said this this is what we'd like to do in phase one. The cost of that is about 75, 76, 77 million dollars. What do you think of that? And and so it was sharing a little bit about what we need to do. This is what we think it's going to cost. Um, and right out of the shoot, we haven't done a lot of communication on facilities for the last year and a half. Right. Um, with 63% of the community say go for it, and that's th that's knowing that that's where we're starting from. That's a really positive sign. And I think what Scott said earlier is true. It, it shows a community that really understands that. In order to keep public education as strong and vibrant as it needs to be, we have to make sure that we're do doing the necessary investments. But at the same time, not overburdening our community. Um, there's over $200 million of projects in that survey you took. Right. No one That's is suggesting lot. that we would do all of that at once. So we gotta, we're going to have to meter this out appropriately over the next 10, 15, 20 years. As far as ongoing maintenance and that sort of thing, uh, you know, you mentioned that we're in good shape. Not all school districts are, though, because sometimes the 
property taxes just get so high and they say, we can't do this. And then they end up falling way, way back. So it sounds like we're not in that situation now. No. And Mankato um, over the years had run maintenance referendums. Right. Um, and so they do a maintenance referendum that would address roof replacement. Mm-hmm. And and then uh, eight years down the road, they'd say, okay, we're going to replace all the windows in the district or on the majority of the buildings. And they'd run a referendum for that. So, um the community has been a strong supporter of, of those types of projects um, and making sure that our buildings are in good care and that uh, the kids have a place to go. But Karen, I think your point is really well taken that it, school district funding across Minnesota, a lot of it comes from the state of Minnesota right. and we and we lobby hard every year unapologetically for what our kids need. But then so much of the additional dollars comes down to property taxes. Mm-hmm. And we know that across our state, there are different property values, whether you're living in urban, suburban, or rural. And so there are instances, thank goodness we are in a region, we're in a, a school district where we have a robust economy, where businesses are attracted here, and we've got strong community sentiments for public education. But there are other areas where it's low property value right. or tax. Uh, there's not a lot of property taxes being collected. So then the burden goes on residents, agriculture owners, businesses, where eventually you hit the ceiling and say, I just can't afford it. Right. I know because we growing up, we were on a farm and, and having a big farm and all those acres, it was it got kind of tough sometimes. You said, we just can't be taxed to death. So I think there's always that issue out there. There is. And, and I think that that's, I think our facilities committee and certainly our school board will be proceeding very um, carefully to make sure that... Um, there's always this understanding that if this isn't free. This is going to come from people. And if we can make the case and people understand the why and we keep it reasonable, especially in the first phase, let's, let's get a win with this first phase of um, possibly putting up a new elementary school and doing some additions to, to some elementaries and then see where the future takes us with the other needs that will eventually have to be addressed. Well, now we're talking new elementary school. Where would that be? Where are the, Where is the growth that you see that we're going to need that extra uh, school? Yep. So there's, there's two areas right now that are just clear um, growth areas in the school district. And no big surprise, West and East. <laughs> um, and so when you well, look... Well, doesn't that cut it down? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, when, so when you look at two areas, when you look at the West attendance area um, in, the, in uh, Upper North Mankato, and if you look at the development and the land use and um, construction that's occurring, um, the schools that are served in the West attendance area, the Monroes, the Hoovers, the Bridges, we, we're working through not only some big capacity issues currently, but we also what's seeing coming down the pike with enrollment. So that is an area that we're going to absolutely need to address. But then right behind that, and not too far behind it, in the east attendance area, um, <laughs> as we all drive around. That's where it's all, a lot of it's going out toward Eagle Lake, et cetera. Absolutely. And so um, when you look at the capacities of a Washington. Now, thankfully, Franklin is a big school. Um, but we also have a commitment to make sure that we're not popping up um, massive elementary schools where students are lost in the shuffle and parents right. don't feel like there's a connection. So I think there's a deep commitment in Mankato to the concept of neighborhood schools. That's something that our board does not want to veer away from, and I strongly support that. So we, we need to be careful, but at the same time, not um, rush out and say, we need three elementary schools. And, um, because well, I could see that being a little... Uh a little controversial people saying, well, I think it should be in the east. Well, I think it should be in the west, as we always know that 
that can happen. So how do you do that? Well, I think that um, we want to make sure that the first things first conversation has to be about the general school district enrollment and the needs. And if we get too mired into where's it going to be, then we're taking our eye off the ball. Um, because the ball is serving students and their families sure. and the commitment that hopefully people can see that it's not just a one-step process. but this sur- And I think the survey reflected that. There's a lot of things that we're going to need to do over time. And um, people who have deep passions either east-west, uh, they'll all get served. It's just a matter of the timing and, and sure. being smart about it. Okay. Do we have the land that's necessary, or is that something that's down the pike too? Yeah, that was that was on the survey as well. We um, schools need to need to be on a on a piece of land, and and I think that our results demonstrated people get that. And so when we asked about the next phases and said, you know, we're probably going to need to purchase some land. Are you with us on that? There was strong strong support. It was kind of like, well, of course you do. <laughs> You're going to need that. So we do own a little bit of land, but uh, in order for our to to meet our needs maybe in the mid-range five to ten years, we'll have to look at some property um, within the school Acquisition. district. Okay. I'm going to turn to Scott now and talk a little bit about the COVID. How have things been going in the school? I know you're the COVID czar. You kind of have to enforce, et cetera, that sort of thing. Um, my kids have felt safe to continue to wear masks. Not everybody does. And so it's been very controversial in some cases. Almost certainly. Um, right now, our elementaries and middle schools are they are required to have masks. Um, our high schools are optional. Um, and we've certainly seen uh, you know, our fair share of cases in the school district uh, and working through that. Um, through this course since school has started, we've had a couple of buildings where we've had an outbreak of COVID and, and had to add some additional mitigation la- layers to it. Um, you know, separating the kids a little bit farther apart in classrooms. Uh, is that hard sometimes? Because I know my kids will say some, in some classes they'll have like 32 kids, which I mean, that is a lot of bodies in one area. Yep. Yep. It gets hard, especially at the at our high school levels. Yes. Um, but there we're a little bit more fortunate because um, those those students have the possibility of being vaccinated. And right now we, we are almost at 60% uh, students being vaccinated at both of our, high, or all three of our high schools. So um, that's really uh, great news for us uh, as we keep moving forward. And, and not a big surprise that when we track our COVID data on, at, a, at a building by building level, we're really seeing the spread um, at elementary schools. Oh, Not okay. school spread, but just we have high numbers of cases in the elementary and say, well, wait a second, aren't those the students who are masked? Well, yes, they are, but they're also not vaccinated yet. So that's And they're also kids who touch everything and probably don't. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, I right. know what little kids can be. <laughs> yep. And so I, I think that our principals, our staff members, our custodians, uh, our teachers especially, are doing everything that they can to, to create a a more typical school experience this year. I mean, we're in school five days a week. We're in-person learning. Virtually everybody is back. Um, But there are still, we are still continuing to live through a pandemic. And unfortunately, community transmission here in Blue Earth County, Nicola County, is still still sky high. And that is... That creates complications for a for a school system. How are your teachers doing with this? Because I know there's some that I've heard say, you know, I saw, I don't necessarily feel safe either. Yeah. And so, what do you do? That's a, that's a tough thing because I know my husband, who was a professor, he can teach from home. But I don't know that do do teachers in the district are they have that ability or or no, not necessarily. No, no, we're all back in. And so, um, there, there are. I mean, people have their their passion and commitment to working with kids and in a school system. 
And they're also, rightfully so, thinking about their own personal health. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we have um, great support systems in place. We've got strong and dedicated school nurses and and therapists and social workers and counselors who are working not only with our kids and families, but they've also had to do their um, fair share of talking with staff members about, so how do you keep yourself safe at school, feeling confident and and positive about coming to work in a time that's... um, can be really challenging because it, it, no doubt about it, it is a stressful time. Well, I'll ask Scott this then, since you're the director of safety as well. Do you have things in place to try and mitigate the the spread and that sort of thing? What's kind? Of, I know, obviously, when it first things all happened, you did. I mean, what sorts of things continue? I assume. Yep. So we continue to to disinfect buildings um, every evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it more than you used to, perhaps? Oh, or? yeah. It's certainly a different. A different way that we clean now. Um, we used to clean. Now we clean and disinfect at the same time okay. um, type operation. Um, we pr- still provide plexiglass barriers where students are working one-on-one or in a small group. Um, that's still an option and, and available um, in classrooms. Um, Lunch periods. I know that our elementary schools um, have kind of a flexible lunch system. Uh, some classes, for instance, kindergarten, first grade classrooms, uh, a lot of them eat right in their classroom, and the rest of the kids utilize the cafeteria, but it's one grade at a time in the cafeteria. So just doing simple things to try to keep uh, uh, age levels together or pods and and distancing when they they are moving through halls and um, doing different types of activities. Has the pandemic caused a lot of extra costs to the schools? I mean, you mentioned the extra disinfecting and uh, plexiglass and things like that. How has that affected the bottom line, the budgets? Yeah, it's it's been, I mean, the pandemic has, has blown a hole through school district budgets, if not for the federal and state relief. Okay. Um, the school districts have received significant dollars to help get through. And, and that, that's that been a question we've received sometimes at the board table, not from board members, but from community mm-hmm. members who may hear that, oh, I, I heard you received millions of dollars in COVID relief. And it's like, yes, absolutely we did. And we spent every nickel of that on PPE, disinfectant, Last year, lowering class sizes so we could actually have K-5 class on an, on an everyday basis. Um, well, that's the, what I was wondering, too. I'm sure, yeah. you know, as I'm like your regular community person as yeah. well that pays taxes and say, well, you got all that money. Why do you need to have another referendum, for example? Right, yeah. And the, and the, the COVID relief dollars really helped school districts like ours keep the doors open. Um, and I think that that was a recognition from our state and federal officials that schools are about learning. They're about developing students, but also in order for our, for our society or for our communities to keep moving, parents have to go to work. Um, parents expect a place for their students to go during the day, so as they're having their life uh, responsibilities, they can, they can do that. So I think that the, the COVID relief, I, I know that our business manager spends an inordinate amount of time tracking um, the the either the supplies or the the personnel that have been hired to get through these uh, really rocky times. Speaking of rocky times, are you having issues keeping teachers or getting substitutes and that sort of thing? Because I've heard that from uh, folks. I know some people are substitutes, so I I won't go back because of yeah. the COVID. So. Are you able to fill all those spots, or is that still a need that's out there? Oh, it's a huge need. We're not even close to filling our substitute teacher 
substitute paraprofessional, substitute custodian, mm. um, the substitute. I mean, the labor shortage has hit all sectors, but right. education is right there um, for a lot of different reasons. And, uh, and the stress levels and the mental health um, concerns of current staff members have us really concerned about them sticking with us, right. not just here in Mankato, but just across the profession. We're hearing from teachers in all areas of the country saying, I don't know if I can do this. Burned out. Yep, because now we're coming back to it seems kind of normal, seems kind of typical, but it really isn't. We're still working through a pandemic and students, many of which have not been in a real life school for over a year and a half, they're showing up with a very different needs and challenges than we all remember from a couple of years ago. It's hard, hard work. Teachers are up for hard work, but it's it's a new reality and it's really burning um, burning some folks out. What are you doing? What well, can you do? Well, number one, it's important that our staff understand that we do really hard things together in Mankato. And so we got to make sure that people don't feel isolated, even though teaching can be a, an extremely <laughs> isolating profession. It's like a parent being stuck at home with just little kids and not having any contact. I mean, it's, it's different. Yep. So it's colleagues, it's supervisors, it's the board doing everything you can to make sure people know that there are not just people who care for you, but there are resources that we have in the system to provide support and help um, in those really uh, tough times that you're going through. So whether that's employee assistance programs, um, creating professional learning communities for people to collaborate and, and really see each other. But um, um, at the end of the day, people's individual health and happiness, um, they, they got to take care of themselves. And sometimes people say, well, yeah, that's easy to say. Yeah, it, it and, and hard to do. Right. But boy, it, it, all of us in this for the long run know that you got to be able, you, you got to take care of yourself, or it's it's going to be a short. Uh, you, we're, we're not going to make it. Are you concerned some kids might fall through the cracks? I think back, you know, my son Grant, who was on the autism spectrum, used to have a one-on-one para, and yep. he needed one. Yep. But I mean, I think that there's people who there aren't as many out there are doing those sorts of jobs. So how do you? cover that gap that maybe some of these kids with special extra special needs etc are needing well and that right there karen is what is 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 fueling some of this stress with our staff because they're seeing that need they're seeing the need of kids and their families and the school's ability to hire to attract Mm -hmm. and then once we get them to keep them Working with uh, kids, it's not as if, I mean, schools are great places to work, but the reason why they're great places to work is because of the kids who are there and the kids that have, and that's that's what makes work uh, valuable. Um, I think that we're, we're trying to be as creative as we can. At the last board meeting, we upped our substitute teacher pay. We upped our substitute principal pay to, to see if there are people who are, maybe they're motivated more by the, yeah. by the dollar. Um, but we also know some of that motivation is just people are doing other things in their life. They're, re, they're renorming what mm-hmm. uh, is important to them. So uh, as a result, we're also having to do that within our system to say, okay, if, if, if the labor shortage is here to stay, how do we need to change the way we're organized so we can um, not just wait for it to get over, but to work through it? And Scott, you mentioned even shortage finding someone to do janitorial and that type of facilities work as well. Is that something that have you had to raise wages on that to get people in in those positions? Yes, we also raised our custodial sub pay um, just to try to entice some people to come and help us. Uh, you know, our staff has been working through the whole pandemic, um, and they, like the teachers, are 
burnt out um, yeah. and need some time off and, and that. And so it's been difficult for us to grant vacation time right. because we just don't have people to fill their shoes. So so we are working really hard looking for anybody that would be interested. Um, we're very flexible, uh, especially in our custodial and our food service departments um, with hours and, and uh, what people have available for time and that. So. Well, I'm glad you brought up though. You mentioned the food. I've also heard that that sometimes you're difficult to get some of the supplies, even for lunches, that sort of thing. Yeah, supply chain has hit uh, the challenges of the supply chain. Definitely is it hit just public food, ed. or is it other things as well? Oh, it's everything. Yep, oh, wow. it's everything. It's equipment. It's furniture. It's um, soap. Even yep, cleaning supplies, toilet paper. Oh my goodness, you name it. Yeah, it's technology hard to get. Yep, very hard. So, um, so knowing that then requires a different response and like, okay, we can't just wait now for six months. We need to reach out to different community partners. And, and I tell you, I mean, this, this, the greater Mankato community, when, when people are asked to step up and provide a helping hand, um, or resources, (laughs) nine nine times out of 10 people are right there. Uh, We've got some really exciting, um, partnerships that are just about ready to be um, announced here um, that are really going to help support the mental health and social emotional needs of kids. Can you talk about it yet? Not yet, but <laughs> but I can't <laughs> wait to. And maybe next month yeah, when next I'm here, month. Okay. I'll be able to uh, maybe bring another guest that can um, share I what that... I trying to get a scoop, Paul. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> well, I tell you, we, we all understand that our kids and, and some of the social emotional concerns or the challenges that kids have don't show up in the greatest of ways. I mean, we've seen more dysregulated student behavior. In, in some of our schools. And so we're having to work differently. And the schools are best when they're teaching. And teaching is, yes, the ABCs and the academics, but it's also behavior and, and how to get along and how to, how to work together collaboratively. And we're spending uh, a whole lot of time on that this fall, probably time that in a typical year, that takes a couple weeks to get under sure. your belt and then you move. Um, it's just taken longer this year because of the reality. I have a question from a listener. It said, what are the qualifications to be a substitute teacher? Do you need a certificate or just a degree? You know, I think that some people think, well, I'm not qualified. So, I mean, obviously you're really wanting people. So what are the qualifications if you need substitutes or maybe some of the other positions yeah, you have? Yeah, great. Well, let's start with teachers. Um, in order to be a substitute teacher in Minnesota, um, you need to have a four-year degree. And with that, you can... So any four-year degree? Four-year degree. So I could be mechanical engineering? Correct. Okay. Correct. Um, that hasn't always been the case, but but the legislature changed that a few years ago. And so if that if uh, there's an interest with a four-year degree in any Doesn't in any have subject, to be teaching. Does okay. not have to be in education. Uh, you will qualify for a tier one license, um, and that allows you to sub um, within the public school system. And if there are any of those people out there who think, well, I, may, I don't know if I want to do it every day. By the way, we could use you every day, but if but if maybe you want to do it a couple times a week. Do you have to take a test, get a certificate, or something, or what? I mean, what's you do not. No, you do not. You just uh, need to go on the uh, and and anyone who's interested in this should should contact our office. Take a look at our website. All of our contact information at isd77.org. Um, we will gladly walk you through every step of that process. Hit send. Um, that tier one license pops up pretty fast, and we'll get you in our schools. I mean, because then, then as a parent, you say, well, these really aren't qualified to teach then. But, I mean, a, a lot of times, I guess, substitutes don't necessarily always teach. They try and maintain orders. Yeah, you know, in, in our high schools have really taken an innovative approach to subs um, because of what you just said. I mean, substitute teachers, if you're going into 
let's say an AP chemistry course. Right. Um, you, you can can't do- just pick anybody that's, <laughs> you know, probably. No. And so you end up doing things that aren't really overly teacher. Yeah, you're really not functioning as a teacher anyway. You're just doing more supervision. Right. And so at our high schools, um, with the on with with all of the technology that students have and teachers have, and the virtual spaces that they had to work in last year, now teachers who have to be out sick can post lessons or videos or document articles to their shared space, their shared virtual space. Students can go to a commons area, cafeteria, um, commons in either of our high schools. And they can work on those things that that are relevant to the class. The teacher has has prepared those anyway. Boy, doing substitute teacher plans back in the day, those are brutal. Right, it yeah. It takes forever to p- prepare those. Right. And then you get back after you've been gone and, well, they didn't really do it anyway. And you've increased pay, so that's <laughs> a, an incentive for people right. as well. And as far as others in your area... Um, do they they need a degree or what do you need to not a degree background Just a, check I yeah, assume is background very background check high school diploma um, and we'll do all the training um, okay uh, food service custodial services um, we'll do all the training are most of them part time um, you they can work anywhere from every day eight hours okay. to um, you know. A half a day. Okay. Um, we also look for teams. Um, uh, you know, maybe there's two or three of you that would like to work as a team. You know, and cover an eight-hour shift for us. And because, for example, a stu- if you had a student, a college student, they might have classes at a certain time, so maybe they could yep. work out a schedule with you or something. Yep. And a lot of uh, our needs in the custodial service uh, start at three o'clock, three thirty, oh, um, and run into the evening. So, um, you know. You can work a four-hour shift, or there's maybe two of you. You're going to cover an eight-hour shift in four hours of time. Um, okay. We're very flexible. You can work one day a week. You can work every day, um, uh, whatever. Where should they go to get information for, you know, if they do? Because obviously there's listeners out there thinking about this that they'd ask a question. So You bet. I think that the best place to go is would be to our website, isd77.org. Under human resources, all that information would be there. They can all, the the phone number for the the main line at the district is also on the site. And I tell you, when I I, I just spoke to a couple of retired um, retired community members a few days ago, and they sub in both office support and as a paraprofessional. And they say, you know, it's it's so fun to go into a school environment and just see. Ki- I mean, when they, the way they describe it is when when we see kids, we're looking at. Like we're looking at the future. Like they're not there yet. I mean, they're yeah, children, right. and they're they're doing all their <laughs> crazy things. And these two are specifically talking about elementary yeah. subbing, um, but just the the joy that that provides them. Um, and also, I mean, I think there are a lot of mis misconceived notions about what's happening in our schools these days. It's a great way to check it out. Come on in, and I think nine out of ten people are like, "Wow, these are these are these are really great places, not only to be but to work and make a little money." We are going over our time. Do you oh. guys have a little little time to hang out for a little bit, or do you have to? Oh, for sure. Because there's a couple things I wanted to go back to again. Is we talked about doing some expansion in the school district. What are our timelines on that in terms of adding? What if there's an elementary school or whatever timelines, and when can we expect? I assume is going to be a referendum, that kind of thing. Right. So the school board ultimately will make any sort of decision on timeline, and they have said they're interested. They want to continue to talk about this, and they are extremely sensitive that we are still working through a global pandemic. And so the earliest that the school board would 
reasonably be looking at a bond referendum to pop up another school would be August of okay. 2022. 2022. Okay. Yep. Um, potentially a few months later would be another option for them in November. Um, going at a time where, the, where, where there will be a large general election happening is typically not, uh, I think that the board would like people to really focus in on the schools. And so August provides them that opportunity. But then there, there would be five or six different um, calendar times that they could look at in 2023. But what's interesting when, when you talk to folks like Scott, 2023 is an option, but we're also looking at those preschool numbers and saying, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> at 2023, that doesn't mean the building goes up in 2023. Well, that's that- what I was going to look to Scott and say, <laughs> how, how far out is that then? Because it do- you can't build a school overnight. Nope. It's usually another two years oh. from the referendum till till okay. that new school is up. So, so uh, yeah, kind of why looking at possibly in in august um uh or november okay so it's it's a ways out yet and but how desperate are you what is the need i mean are we gonna explode at the seams yeah yeah i i, I the word i would use is not desperate okay i that's think good. <laughs> no i think that the the district has long well before i got here and going back decades i think that school district leadership and the board has always prided itself on looking ahead and not getting itself into a situation where people, let's say 15 years from now, look back and say, what has what has happened here? When, who, yeah. who, who has been in charge? And yeah, so, what fell apart if, yep, if it does. Right. And so there's a, there's a real responsibility to make sure that we continue to use the trust and the goodwill that we have with our community and continue to be looking ahead to make sure we don't get to those points. Now, there is some urgency when you look at something like Um, a competitive pool for West High School. That West Pool has not had a drip of water in it for over a year. Okay. Yeah, I was wondering about that. And having two large high schools with four competitive swim teams all using the same facility over at East, that is doable for a while. Do they work with MSU at all? Or it's, it, when when we can, oh, but okay. but MSU has its own well, yeah, its own things. Tremendous responsibilities and and access for students, um, and so that is a there there is an urgency for us to figure out a pool solution, and uh, we're talking to a lot of community partners about that because at the end of the day, the Scarlets need a place to swim, the boys and girls, mm-hmm. and um, and one option would be to wrap that into a bond. Um, but there might be other options out there as well. Why MCA, for example, or something, you know? Who That's knows? right. Right. So there's, uh, so if you're listening, community people, talk to the school. <laughs> they they need to. The, how about your school board members? How are they doing? Because as we've heard in the news a lot, there are people who are quitting the school boards yeah. because of all the controversy. A lot of it's related to vaccinations and masking, COVID, et cetera. How are we doing? You know, I'm. thanks for asking that, Karen, because I our school board members are tremendous um public servants and but it it's it would be inaccurate to say that they're doing just fine i mean you can we can ask that question of them individually i would think it would be a tough job but as a group they've really gone through some really challenging times many of which probably never imagined that school board service would look like it um it has over the last several months and you're right it's it's been about covid fatigue about masking about the safety of vaccines um that's that's been about race and racism and um, what people believe critical race theory is and what it isn't, and if K twelve schools are engaging in in that sort of uh, academic theory, and so our our board um, has really they, they've been hit hard. Um, some of it really local by some constituents of their own, and some of it more statewide and national wide um, of really some people that are are working more on a political agenda. 
but uh, they're sticking together. And I'm just so proud of the fact that they don't always agree. They don't always vote seven zero, and that's that's how it should be. Right. But they are together and committed to to being a high functioning board that's uh, respectful of each other and expects that level of respect and decorum of the citizens that come to their meetings as well. So you haven't had any big outcries yet or anything at the board meetings. Our board meetings have been rocking. Yeah, they've been. They, we've had <laughs> packed houses yeah. over the last several months, and um, and I think that this past Monday night um, or a month a Monday ago, hopefully was a peak to that. Um, some of it is just theater, um, people who are just looking to get on video and and hoping to um, maybe go viral. Um, but there's always something to learn too, and I, our board is so committed to hearing from the public. Um, they just want to make sure that it's done in an appropriate, respectful way that isn't about grandstanding or or theater um and it's also not uh there there are any personal attacks because the work when all that's happening the real work of educating kids and being a student-centered system which we pride ourselves in um we get away from that and that's uh what our board is committed to getting back to and i think that we've got exactly the right board to do that work here in the coming months and as the safety person, Scott, are you um, getting any blowback about people not wanting to wear masks, people not wanting to get vaccinated? Um, my kid's not going to get vaccinated, et cetera. I assume you most, hear. Yeah, most certainly. We we uh, we take uh, quite a few calls and emails uh, with parents both ways, um, <laughs> you know, supporting us in our decisions that we make and, and others um, wanting that change that, uh, no, we don't need to have masks um, and uh, no, we shouldn't be vaccinating and, and all of that type of stuff. So it's been a challenge. Will the school or has the school mandated that teachers get vaccinated? We, we have not. No, okay. there, no there's, there's not a vaccine mandate for um, school officials. Um, we're watching very carefully what's coming out of President Biden's right. administration and then the OSHA standards about employee employers with over 100 employees and either the vaccinate or test requirement. Um, thankfully, we have large, large numbers of our s- staff members who are vaccinated. We're talking about very small percentage of, a, I mean, with staff, over 1,300 staff members in our system. So we're talking small numbers, but we also know that vaccine, I've, I've got someone I work with in the community pretty regularly, and he says all the time, vaccine is our way out of this. And helping to educate, inform, um, not force, but making sure that facts are driving people's decision-making. We do see ourselves as an education system being a part of that messaging, and, and we take that on willingly. At this point, I know 5 to 11-year-olds can get vaccinated. Is there a site is Mankato have a site at school so kids can get vaccinated with obviously parental consent and that sort of things or what sorts of program is set up now? So we're excited uh, this coming Friday at Rosa Parks Elementary. Um, we are in partnership with the Department of Health in hosting a 5 to 11 year old vaccination clinic. It will run from 4 to 8 o'clock um, and we have more information on how parents can register their students uh, for that uh, vaccine clinic on our website. So um, certainly encourage them. Okay, well, that's great to know that we are one of those sites because I know there were some throughout the state. So anything else before I let you go? We've had you over over time, but, um, you know, it's such a great 
things to talk about, and we'll have you back next month to talk more. Yeah, so. no, I, I I think that we really hit it. We we hit a wide variety of topics, and and uh, how much I appreciate people call in and ask a question, and mm-hmm. if we can, uh, and maybe you'll get some people that they, they need people in the school. They've raised the the wages, and you just need a degree in anything, <laughs> right? <laughs> there you go, boy. We went all around the carnival today. We we hit a lot of topics. That well, was great. I love it. So thank you so much, and thanks for bringing Scott in for you to come in today to talk a little bit as the safety thank person you. on campus. And uh, Paul, as always. It's great to have you on, and we will um, talk to you next month. Take care, Karen. Good luck to you guys. Thank you.